Thank you, Sai, and thanks to everyone in the room. I wanted to also just greet some of the people online, Des and Vanessa and everyone. How's it to you guys? I wish I could see you as well. But as it is, we've got three city groups in the house. We've got Lindelani and Elaine's group over here representing. We've got Munya and Elanette's group, and we've got Dean and Candice Webb's group which came in handy because we needed a doctor right now in the room. Uh, but don't worry if you're looking online. We just had a fall here, uh, but we have doctors on the scene and the dude's all right. Uh, but just wanted to say I'm very blessed as well. I've got my family here. I've got my dad, my mom, and my gran uh, making a special appearance. So I feel very cherished, um, and it's awesome. And I just wanted to pray, Father, as we pause here this morning, we want to trust you. Lord, we want to ask that you move among us. We've been singing about it, but Lord, it's our request. It's our cry of our heart. We don't want to do anything in our own strength here this morning. We want you to move among us. So we pray, Lord, that as, as I preach, that you perform that miracle again, where you just use me as a vessel and that you preach through me in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we, as a, as a church, one of our steps that we want to help people to take is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And a flyover of, of how that works is just that when you put your faith in Jesus, you're born again as a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And we get filled with it. We receive the seal of the Holy Spirit at that time. But as we journey with God, we can ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. We can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, resides within us and does much work within us. We have a small group material about that. But one of his ministries is he wants to empower believers with spiritual gifts. And we wanna talk about that for five Sundays. And I'm very excited about this because it's close to my heart. Many of you would have heard one of my passions is that people be strong in God's word. But that's just 50% of who I am. The other half is I want people to be strong in the Holy Spirit because we need to be both. And when I say we need to be strong in the Spirit, there's two camps. There's the Bible nerd camp that are like, well, yeah, yes, like, I don't know what's coming with that territory. The next thing we know, we're going to disregard God's word and anything goes. Then we're going to be baptizing cats here at City uh, and anything goes. And the other, the other camp is Camp Charismania. They're all right. They just want fire to fall. Everyone prays in tongues. We levitate across the atrium into the portals of blessing. They're all right with that order of events. But God is not about that. He wants people to be strong in His Word and strong in the Spirit. As a church, that's what we stand for. We want those two things to be in play. We want to be robust with God's word, but we want to be inflamed with the power of the spirit. And so that's why we're doing this series. We want you to be stretched. That's why when we do this, uh, this series, we've selected to do most of them out of a certain list of spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because those gifts, it seems impossible to do by our own natural strength. So we want, want everyone to be stretched because we want to be a church where everyone's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so as I go into this, my whole goal today is to lay a foundation for the spiritual gift so that we don't have to return to it for the series. So if I'm usually concise, 30 to 35 minutes, this one's a bit longer. Yammer word, but it's just how it is. We're gonna lay a foundation and I'm gonna talk about one spiritual gift. The other guys are just gonna jump in and preach on those spiritual gifts. So it's gonna be very good. Now, if you wanna turn there, you should because you get heaven points if you do to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And a background about that church is the dudes in Corinth, they thought their, their strengths was the gifts of the Spirit 
and the grace of God. But Paul talks to him and he says, you know what you guys really suck at is the gifts of the Spirit and the grace of God. And so Paul comes to correct them. And that's where we find ourselves here in verse 1. Why don't you turn there with me or follow along in the Sky Bible over here on my left, your right. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. That's why we do a series on this, because we don't want to be uninformed. It says in verse 4, now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's where we get our tagline from. Many gifts, one God, common good. Straight from the Bible. Verse 8 says, for now to one is given through the Spirit, this is a gift, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of the tongues. All these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many different members or parts and all the members or parts of the body, though many, they're actually one body. So it is with Christ. So if you're new to Christianity, the, the image is this, that Jesus is the head and the church is the body. So if you hear people say, I'm, I love Jesus, but I'm not into church, it's a bit weird. It's like me saying, I love Laura up until the neck. Below that, it's a no from me. It's a bit weird. It's a little bit of a nearly headless neck scenario. Uh, this is an attachment, the body of Christ. And so as we go into this, the body is actually made up of different people and we have different gifts. And so I've got 10 principles for you about spiritual gifts. So now like, we're just like 10 points. Yeah, 10 principles, but some of them are quick about the Holy Spirit and his gifts. The first one, if you're taking notes, is that every Christian has a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. It says here in verse seven, to each is given the manifestation. So basically, if you, you fall under the bracket of each, if you're a Christian. So there isn't one person out there, God passed you over. No, each person has a spiritual gift. See, that was short, lacquer. Point number two, we're moving on. The gifts of the Spirit or the gifts are from the Holy Spirit himself. It says here in verse six, there's a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them. Who is that God? It's the Holy Spirit. These are not natural abilities that we're talking about now. We're talking about supernaturally imparted gifts from God, from the Holy Spirit. In fact, the word in the word study is charisma. They are grace gifts. So this is not because someone's super holy that they get gifts. This is a grace gift that we all open to. Ne? You can say amen if you're inspired. Um, number three, every gift matters. Every gift matters. Because it says in verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member or body part, but of many. So in our church, it doesn't run off the back of one super big person. It's about the many. It's not about the super apostolic prophet of the order of Merlin that makes a church run. It's about every single person doing their part. That's how God has wired this thing. Every gift is needed. Um, in fact, verse 15, there's a little bit of a complaint from one of the church members. If the foot should say, 
because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. This is like some of you in the church. Because I'm just a stubby, smelly foot, I wish I was a slender hand. Then I would be something in the church. This is a fallacy because without feet, the church would go nowhere. Every single part of the church is necessary for it to move forward. There isn't better gifts and like subpar gifts. In fact, we, have, we are guilty of giving honor to gifts that are upfront, like what I'm doing now. We have a tendency to give honor to public gifts, but the Bible does the opposite. In verse 24, God has so composed the body that he gives greater honor to the part that lacked it. So this is like behind the scenes when Laura's switching and nobody on screen knows about it. This is like when our intern Matthew sets up this place. This is like when someone at home is praying for the gathering. Nobody knows their names, but they are seen in heaven because God sees what we don't see. He gives greater honor to people behind the scenes. Beautiful. So there are no subpar gifts and every single gift matters. Number four, these gifts are not for you at all. That was silent. (laughs) Verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit. For what reason? For the common good. So the gifts are not given for you to be puffed up. They're actually given for building up the church. In fact, Paul goes on to say um, that so with yourselves, since you are eager, like you guys, eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So the gifts are not for you. Number five, you have to desire spiritual gifts. It says in verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. In fact, the word desire there is covet. It's a strong word. You've really got to want it. You've got to earnestly desire the spiritual gift. So if you fall into the category that says, I'm all right, eh? Um, the spiritual gift's not, not for me. No, no, no. The Bible says eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. So how you, des- how you receive a spiritual gift, this is actually part and parcel of the deal. There's a tension to hold in place. The first part of the tension is that we need to eagerly desire a spiritual gift. God honors that. He says eagerly desire. But he uses a caveat. He says eagerly desire the higher gifts. Now we confused, bless you. Because now we say, but I thought we said there's no higher or lower ranks with the gifts. And that's quite correct. Paul actually defines a higher gift in verse uh, 31. I'm sorry, in 14 verse 5, he stipulates that higher gifts are more beneficial to other people. So they're higher in the extent that they extend to benefit other people. So we've got to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but not for ourselves. We've got to eagerly desire them to build up other people. That's the first part of the tension. The second part of the tension is ultimately, in the final analysis, it is God's own choice, which gifts you receive. Because it says in verse 11, all these, they're empowered by the one and same spirit, but he apportions to each one individually as he wills. So guess what? God might surprise you with a gift that you never saw coming. And he might not give you a gift that you eagerly desire. So there's a tension to hold in place because God knows this gift can trip us up and that gift is gonna be a blessing to people. And every single gift that God gives is a good gift because we read in James, every good and perfect gift comes from above from the Father of lights. So eagerly desire gifts, but desire them to build up others and leave the ultimate choice up to God. Sixthly, the gifts are actually discerned by practice and learning, right? For instance, if you scheme, you've got a gift to lead worship, but it's only your mother that thinks that you're good. 
There's a clue in that. We can help each other out with this. Um, we can also call out gifts that we saw in people that they never did. We can say, listen, by, by me observing you in our small group, I think you've got a gift for mercy because of how you deal with the broken. And they can go and explore that. We can actually call out gifts in one another. And we wanna, we, I wanna emphasize for you guys, in City, we want your gift because you've got gifts we don't have. And the fact is that we can discern that together. So come to the landing. The landing is a place for you to come if you've never joined our church or you wanna know what the next step is for you. It's happening on the 20th of September. You can even sign up in the comment section below. 20 September in landing, we actually help you discern your spiritual gifts and how to get involved because it's about each person doing their part. Seventhly, the gifts actually work uniquely with different individuals. It's not a, 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 copy, a copy paste kind of a deal. We read in verse 11 that he apportions to each one individually as he wills. So let me give you an example. Let's say the gift of hospitality. Not everyone's got the gift of hospitality, Mensa. Have you ever been invited to someone's home and then they say, what did you bring for dinner? As you arrive at the door, and then they don't tell you to sit down, we must, we must stand. And then when you do sit down, they, oh, that's my favorite chair, you can't sit there. Not everyone has the gift of hospitality. But if you do have the gift of hospitality, it's got different flavors. The one flavor is that some people are gifted with hospitality in that they can organize this whole room so that everyone feels catered for and everything's, everyone's at ease. They have a gift of hospitality with administration, but perhaps one-on-one -on -one they're a bit awkward. Then on the converse, you've got some people that one-on-one, -on -one, they just make you feel cherished and at home no matter what, but they're not necessarily into big groups. That's cool because we actually have different flavors of the same gift and they're all necessary. I could go on with every single gift here, but they actually work differently with different individuals. In fact, some Mensa have a big gift here and they've got a sub gift here that helps them. Other people are massively gifted in one thing, but they're just awful beyond that. And some people have a, have a gift that they're actually all-rounders. In all manner of areas, they're helpful. That's good. That's how God wired us. He apportions to each one individually as he wills. Verse eight, there's often overlap with these gifts. Often overlap, let's just say the gift of healing is at play, that you, you, you pray for people and they're often healed. The chances are very strong that you have the gift of faith in play as well for that healing. The same is true for if you have the private gift of edification of tongues, that goes well with intercession. If you have the gift of encouragement and prophecy, they often go well together and there's often overlap. I'm not gonna define all those gifts, you're gonna to have to stay tuned for the series. The point is that there's often overlap and there's complementarianism between the gifts. It's not neat little boxes that we can divide. Number nine, the lists of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not exhaustive. There are multiple gifts lists in the Bible. But nowhere does God actually provide a list where it's like that's all of them. Because it's not actually God's heart to provide an exhaustive list. It's his heart for us to be on the lookout for gifts that are gonna build up the body of Christ and use them for the common good. That's his heart. And so the list is not exhaustive here. And number 10, most intellectually, none of the gifts have ceased. If you um, have been around the block Recently, this is a big deal. There's some people that believe that some of the spiritual gifts have ceased to be in operation. That theory is called cessationism. The theory is coming up on the screen. It is a belief or a doctrine that the miraculous gifts specifically, such as speaking in tongues, prophecy, and healing, have ceased. 
with the apostolic age. That means when the last apostles passed away, God stopped imparting the miraculous gifts to people. That's the theory. We don't agree. We believe in another thing called continuationism, which is also coming up on the screen. Continuationism on the flip side is a belief that all the spiritual gifts, including healings, tongues, and miracles, are still in operation today, just as they were in the days of the early church. So let's take a look at scripture and see, because there's only one scripture in the Bible that mentions the ceasing of the gifts of the Spirit. And might I mention in passing to the joy of Lorelei Harvey that it's dangerous to form beliefs based on just one verse. But at any rate, we're going to look at that one verse and we're going to, we're going to see if we agree with cessationism or continuationism. So the passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 to 13. It says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Pay attention to that, when the perfect comes. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I still do think like a child anyway. Um, When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And then we say you can kiss the bride or whatever. Um, So the, the, the question is, when will these gifts cease? Because both continuationists and cessationists will agree that they do cease, but when? And verse 10 was the clue. It says, when the perfect comes, these will pass away. So the debate is divided on what that phrase actually means. Cessationists take when the perfect comes to mean when we receive the perfect holy scriptures, there was no need anymore for miraculous gifts to be poured out. So they might agree that God heals, but they don't agree that God will gift somebody to heal consistently. That's their theory. I disagree with that reading for three reasons. Firstly, The cessationist position says when the perfect comes is when Scripture actually is canonized, when Scripture arrives. But the problem is that's not actually present in the passage whatsoever. So that's pretty damning already. Secondly, the most importantly, this passage is about the return of Jesus Christ. The reason how we know that is because it says in verse 12, we will see face to face. That is a convention in Scripture which always means seeing God face to face. The Bible also stresses we can't see God face to face now. But it says in Revelation 22 verse 4, but then we will see him face to face. And so we can interpret that actually this is referring to the coming of Jesus. And when we do, the whole passage makes sense. Because verse 12 then says, so I hope you guys are tracking with me. The continuationist position believes until Jesus comes back, there's spiritual gifts, right? Are you with me? So verse 12 then makes sense. It says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. So Paul does not expect to have perfect knowledge until such time as Jesus returns and then all misconceptions will be wiped away. Makes sense. Then verse 10 makes sense as well. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So when Jesus returns, the imperfect or partial view will pass away. This makes total sense. But I still have one strong argument up my sleeve. The third and strongest argument why I believe continuationism is correct and interprets the passage correctly 
is as theologian Wayne Grudem points out, Paul actually ties the possession of spiritual gifts to the activity of waiting for the Lord's return. When he says in verse seven of chapter one, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus. That suggests that Paul saw the gifts as a temporary provision made to equip believers for ministry until the Lord's return. So I hope you're tracking with me that firstly, there's no completion of scripture actually mentioned in this passage. Secondly, it clearly refers to Jesus' return. And thirdly, Paul's definition of spiritual gifts is by essence that they are temporary provision until Jesus' return. So I hope you're convinced by that. I'm deeply convinced. However, if you wanna chat more, all, all the best to you. You can email me at info at citygodfirst.co.za and we can take it offline. But it's really not a deal breaker if you disagree with us. I wanna emphasize, I really do believe cessationists and continuationists, don't worry dad and Marve, that wasn't specific to you, uh, can sit next to one another in church and it's not a deal breaker because it's not actually fundamental in my opinion. So there we go. So let's just take a look at these spiritual gifts principles. Are you guys vakar over here? So here's the spiritual gifts principles. Every Christian has a spiritual gift or gifts. They are from the Holy Spirit. Every single gift matters. None of the gifts are actually for you. The gifts are to be desired. They can be discerned through practice and learn and listening. The gifts work uniquely with different people. The gifts have overlap. The lists are not exhaustive. And guess what? You can be blessed with any of these spiritual gifts today. Hallelujah. So that, those are the principles. And then I just wanted to start on one for you guys, which is the gift of faith. So that's my second heading today, the gift of faith. This one trips up people a little bit because they don't know what is meant there. We've actually got three categories of, of faith in Scripture. We've got saving faith, as in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So this is common to everyone who believes in Jesus. They have a saving faith in Jesus. Here's another one that's common, is living faith. Even as Habakkuk 2, 4 says, the righteous shall live by faith. This is living faith. This is me trusting God in my life and my finances and my work and my marriage. It's living faith. And it's not just common, but commanded of all believers. But then there's the third category of faith, which is actually unique to people with the gift of faith. So this is not common. Uh, and this I'm gonna define in my own Jamesism words here, uh, that the gift of faith seems to be a supersized God-given ability to have faith for a particular situation that enables the person to trust God for something beyond what they otherwise would be able to. That's a James definition right there. I believe I operate in this gift quite regularly. And if you have this gift, what'll happen is you'll just believe God for a situation in a way that other people think is quite daft. Um, and if you observe someone with a gift of faith, you'll be like, yes, like, oh, I don't know how you believe God for that, but God bless you, brother. Um, if someone with the gift of faith has a supersized supernatural defiance that God will come through against all odds for a particular situation. So where are we at now? Oh, it's a big blessing to the whole church uh, to have this gift of faith. So I wanted to give you some biblical examples. So I've got five and I'm gonna say, let's hold them lightly because it never says in the Bible, now Elijah was operating in the gift of faith. Um, and then he did X, Y, and Z. So we have to do a little bit of Bible detection, detection's not the word, detective work, um, and try and see here what I'm taking it, 
as a definition of an action of faith is when it is a supernatural, godly way that they acted that is crazy. That had to be the gift of faith in play. So first example I wanted to give you was Peter who walked on water. Jesus said, come, and he didn't say, that's illogical. How can I, when you're standing there in the Sea of Galilee? He just believed God. He had a gift of faith in that moment, and he followed him. Secondly, we have Daniel's mates in Daniel chapter 3. They were going to be chucked in the fire, in the furnace, but they didn't skip a beat. They just said, King God will deliver us. Can you imagine being thrown into a furnace by just saying, no worries, God will deliver me, and they weren't burnt. Gift of faith, supernatural. Thirdly, we have the centurion. He said, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I have never seen such faith in all of Israel. He just had a gift of faith. He just knew God's going to heal. Fourthly, old Davi, killing Goliath. Now, this guy's a teenager. He's got a slingshot. He's up against a giant. It's a bad, logical move. But he had faith. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And he went for it. Best line in the Bible, I believe. Um, And he just had a gift of faith for that moment. And fifthly, we've got old Abraham. God said, Abes, I want you to get up, move you and your family off to a foreign nation. I'm not going to tell you where, Abraham, but I just want you to get up and go. And he left. Supernatural gift of faith. Can I share something personal with you? That I know that there will come a time when God will ask me the same question as he asked of Abraham. James, will you get up and will you go to where I send you? And I have a supernatural gift of faith that even though God's gonna do that and he's gonna send me to persecuted nation where Christians are not safe, I have a gift of faith which is not to my credit that on that day I will say, here I am, Lord, send me. And I'm convinced of this. And I don't know what the cost will look like at that time. And people will say I'm naive, but I have the gift of faith that I will answer the call. Now, I, I stored this prophecy in my heart because I felt it for a long, long time. And I didn't let people know about it. And I said, Lord, this is troublesome that you're going to send me off because I want to marry. And what cruelty would it be to marry someone and say, now come with me. We're going somewhere where we might die. But I had a gift of faith that God said, don't worry, I've got it. Don't worry, I've got it. I said, okay, Lord, if you say so. So I had a gift of faith for that as well. And God specifically told me through many words, James, I want you to marry Laura. Very convinced about it. I think it was a bit of a God-arranged marriage, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I was preaching at the buzz. Some of you will remember. I was preaching a sermon that says, if you hear God's voice, You have to obey God's voice. God really dealt sneakily with me on that day. Because after I had trapped myself by saying those words and I got off the stage, God said, I want you to propose to Laura by 9 September. And I was like, well, I just said I would, I said the whole church should do that. So I guess, Lord, you're going to have to make a way. Because the problems are many. Firstly, I don't have the money. Secondly, I don't have a ring. And thirdly, that's 11 days from now. So I've heard, I've seen you move. You move the mountains. I believe you'll do it again. Okay, that was at the 8 a.m. After the 8 a.m., here was Kirsten Laurie with an envelope of money. And she said, God told me you need this money to follow what he said. Later on, I said to her, Kirsten, I need to share with you why. 
She says, don't worry, I've got a ring from my last marriage, my engagement ring. Please melt it down. I feel it's God's gift for you. At the end of that gathering where God had spoken to me, I now had money and I now had a ring. There was still one problem, the problem of time. But God supernaturally provided through finding out that, God, that Laura's uncle is, is a guy that cuts diamonds. He had a supernatural timeline there. He gave me a steal of a deal. And the next thing, the ring was finished on time for the proposal. Miracles just happen when you're obedient to God. There's nothing special about it. It's just being obedient to God. I had a gift of faith that God would make away, but now I still have a problem. We're on the road to marriage and God is saying, keep these secrets in your heart. And I'm like, it's a bit cruel. That's not really, doesn't really go with premarital counseling that we're doing with Vaughan and Laura Lay. We've got to share these things. But we're coming to the altar and Laura and I write vows for one another and we didn't share what those vows were gonna be. It was gonna be a surprise. So I rock up there and there are many witnesses to that wedding that are sitting here in this gathering. And Laura said in the vows, I will follow you anywhere, even if it leads to our death. And I knew that God was kind to me, that he prepared a wife for me, for the destiny he has for me. And I have a gift of faith that one day God will call us beyond the waters and we will say, here we are, Lord, send us. We won't know what it costs, but I have a gift of faith for that. Amen. Now, the gift of faith isn't always dramatic. The gift of faith is also when uh, I was going to change jobs from, from Foghound to going into the bush to film and camera, and God calls me literally last minute through Glenn Campbell, and he says, why don't you come lead the small groups at City? And I just had a gift of faith. I don't have any qualifications. I'm ill-equipped. I don't have ministry experience, but I will go. I had a gift of faith that God equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. I also later on got called into preaching. I don't know how to preach, but I believe God calls the equipped. I've got a gift of faith that whenever God asks me to do something dramatic for his kingdom, he makes a way. I have a gift of faith when dramatic life choices come. When I hear God's voice, I follow. I've got a gift of faith. God will make the miraculous happen. He always has and he always will. That's my gift of faith. You might have a different flavor of the gift of faith. Some of you have a gift of faith that God will provide no matter what the circumstances look like in my bank balance. Some of you have a gift of faith for other people's pregnancy. Some of you have a gift of faith for the next generation. And you say, I just believe in these children to make a big impact. Some of you have a gift of faith for crisis. We have people at the back there serving faithfully. I didn't ask them permission to share the story. So I just fly over it pun intended, that they had a bird that went missing for an extremely long time where people would say, that's over a month. Chances are 100% this bird is gone. You will never have this bird back again, but they had the gift of faith in that crisis. God will make a way where it's impossible. And that bird came back in one piece and is in their home. Many different flavors of the gift of faith, all beautiful, all relying on God with a supernatural way. Now, I don't even know where I am in my notes absolutely nowhere. Um, I just wanted to give you guys here five gifts for the, five tips for those with the gift of faith, five tips for those who don't have the gift of faith. Hopefully that'll be helpful for you. Firstly, for those with the gift of faith, peeps like myself, we need to pray for discernment between false confidence and the gift of faith. We don't want to be foolhardy just going into a situation because we're like bold but it's not something that God is behind. We need to pray for discernment for what is actually God's. Secondly, your gift always grows with obedience. Remember the Bible says faith without works is dead. So it's absolutely useless to have a pumping, surging faith and then sit on your bum. 
We have to be a people that when we hear God's voice, we obey and God increases our capacity for that gift. Thirdly, you've got to let your gift encourage other people. Remember, God doesn't give gifts for us. He gives them for others. It's testimonies. You know, people with the gift of faith, part of our ministry is to spur on general faith in people. We need to raise the level of faith in the room. Fourthly, we need a God against pride. Remember, your faith levels is, is not to your credit, it's a gift from God. And don't expect other people to share your level of faith for a particular situation that you're gifted in. God against pride with all gifts. And fifthly, we need to supplement big faith with big prayer. Charles Spurgeon, London preacher, he said that the prayer of faith is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. If we have the gift of faith, let's be a people of big faith prayers. Okay? Is that helpful, Mensa? If you don't have the gift of faith, here's five tips for you. Firstly, don't quench the gift of faith in other people. Right? So in church life, we can't play everything safe. We can't make everything come down to the lowest common denominator of faith in the room. Don't quench someone else's gift because God put them there to raise your faith levels, not for you to bring them down. So don't quench the gift of faith in church. Secondly, you can actually ask for this gift. If you've been listening to this message online or in the room and you feel an earnest desire for the gift of faith, God says, ask for it. If you want to, you can receive this gift. Maybe it's God's sovereign choice that it's not wise for you, but you can pray for it. Thirdly, if you don't have the gift of faith, you can't try and manufacture faith. You can't actually, this goes for anyone, you can't psych yourself into big faith. A lot of the guys with big faith are very excitable people, but you can't psych yourself into faith. It comes from heaven. So there's only genuine faith and it's not about psyching yourself up. It has to be asked for. Fourthly, you've got to celebrate others that have this gift. If other people have this gift and you don't, you go, God bless you crazy faith person. I bless you and I celebrate the fact that you and I are different. By the way, on this, not in my notes, but still important, people with a gift of faith often need people with operational implementation gifts around them because they spur out and pioneer and go mad, but they actually can't do anything like myself. I need Laura or else it's useless. There'd be no institute if I didn't have someone with a gift of administration by my side. People with a gift of faith must be closely connected to people that have implementation-like gifts or else nothing good happens. And fifthly and lastly, God still expects general faith from everybody. So we can never actually have the excuse, but God hasn't given me the gift of faith, so that's all right. No, God still says you can't please God without faith. Bible facts. Jesus was always alert to people's faith levels. He said in the boat, oh, you guys of little but yet growing faith. He said of the centurion, I've never seen such faith. He said in Nazareth, he couldn't perform miracles because of the lack of faith. He said at one point, this is a faithless generation right here. Jesus was always alert to faith levels and you can't please God without faith and the righteous shall live by faith. And so if you don't have the gift of faith, you still need to stir up your general faith. It won't be for a particular genre or situation, but it's just the way you live your life is through faith. It is commanded for all of us. I like to stir up my faith with Luke chapter 18, where it says, but Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I like to repeat it 
when depression looms in Laura's life. I like to remind myself, what's impossible with man is possible with God. I like to stir up my faith when I feel really down and apathetic. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. And we need to stir one another's faith levels this morning. In fact, we're gonna worship in a moment. We're gonna stir up our faith levels. So just to say that the Lord is faithful and everything that he says, he does. He has never abandoned one of his children in his life. God, we can trust in the name of the Lord. It says in scripture, he's not a man that he should lie, nor does God ever change his mind. Those who put their faith in the Lord know that his promises come to pass. We will not be put to shame. We will stumble, but we shall never fall because scripture says that the faithful love of the Lord never ends. It never ceases. His mercies are fresh every morning. The Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend upon him. Scripture says that Jesus' name is faithful and true. So we can put our faith today in the faithful God. And we're going to sing in a moment. Is the band up there? The band's up there. I can't see around the corner. So we're going to sing that you were faithful then, you're faithful now. And I want to ask you, do you have an impossible situation in your life where you're trusting God? I want us to stir up our faith by singing these songs of praise. And as we sing, I know that I know that you never fail. And I know that I know that you never will. Let's worship God this morning. You guys stand and let's stir up our faith this morning.